One of the more unique elements of Chodesh Elul, as the build-up to the Yamim Naraim, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, gathers momentum, we introduce the Minhag of Slichos, of awakening early morning, in some cases late at night, ideally under ideal conditions. Slichos should be recited sometime between Chatzos HaLaila and Zrichas HaShemesh and Neitzach to awaken early in the morning, late at night, and recite Slichos. The recitation of Slichos augments the volume of Tefillah during this month. Sephardic Jews begin reciting Slichos once Elul commences. Ashkenazic Jews follow a different minhag and introduce Slichos into the schedule closer to Rosh Hashanah, a week or so before Rosh Hashanah, depending. If Rosh Hashanah falls in the early part of the week, then Slichos are said a week and a half or so before. The Shabbos, not proximate to Rosh Hashanah, but the Shabbat before. If Rosh Hashanah occurs during the end of the week, as it does this year, Tashin Samach Test, Tashin Ayin, then Slichos begins the Shabbat immediately preceding Rosh Hashanah. Either way, Slichos highlights the pivotal role of tefillah within the tshuva process during one of the more spirited moments of tefillah on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the sections of Unisana Tokev Kiddush HaSayom Berosh Hashanah Yikasevu V'yom Tzam Kippur Yechasemun we punctuate the energy of these tefillahs we all scream, many many communities, we, we all shout Utshuva, Utsvila, Utstaka, Ma'avirin Esroag, Zera Tshuva, Tfilah, and Tzedakah. And Tfilah is an irreplaceable, fixed element, cardinal element of the Tshuva process. This is a very interesting Medrash. Medrash Rabbah in Vayikra, Parsha Yud. There's a machlokus between the Behuda and the Meshur ben Levi. Behuda says, Tshuva ose mechza v'tfilah ose hakol. Tshuva is only a partial solution. Tfilah is a more comprehensive solution. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi omer, tshuva asta takol v'tfila asta mechza. Yeshua ben Levi feels that tshuva is more, is more effective than tfila. But either way, without, uh, without questioning the, 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 the mathematical breakdown, the dynamics between tshuva and tfila, they're both highlighting the interlocking relationship between tshuva and tfila. In fact, the Mishnah continues, the Medrash continues, Kayin, at least according to this Medrash, was the, or at least was one of the first to perform tshuva. It's debated in the Medrash as to when Adam performed tshuva for his chet, but Kayin, in Barashas Perak Dalid, exclaims, Gadol avoni minso, which at least according to this Medrash is an admission of guilt, an acknowledgement of guilt, a recognition of the heavy, almost unbearable burden of sin. And due to that admission of guilt, the first stage of tshuva's admission and acknowledgement, due to that, his decree is reduced, is mitigated. Um, as the Medrash says, Nimna mimenu chatsi gzera. Half of his gzera was, um, was, was cancelled. Of course, he was still condemned, the Medrash says, to live a nomadic lifestyle, to wander the earth, because his tshuva was not followed up with tefillah, was not complemented with tefillah. So Slichos is an opportunity to augment the volume of tefillah 
and increase the role of tefillah within the process of tshuva. Tshuva is a year-long process, of course. It isn't really limited to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, to Chodesh Elul. The Rambam doesn't even cite tshuva as a mitzvah. His language in the initial sections of Hilchos Tshuva are suggested that tshuva isn't a mitzvah. It's almost too important to be classified as a mitzvah. Classifying it as a mitzvah would encourage the the error that it's an experience limited to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, to Chodesh Elul. It's a daily, minute-by-minute implementation of Bechir HaChavshis, a freedom of choice to determine who we are, to change who we are, and to rally or respond from failure, and to improve ourselves, a God-given gift of tshuva. But without question, the pitch and the tone of tshuva is much more intense during the month of Elul, during Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and that pitch is captured by the higher dosage of tefillah, during this time, typified by slichas. Slichas are recited during a time in which, um, ironically, really not a zman tefillah per se, Marev, at least according to many opinions, should only be recited before Chatzels, but even if it's recited until Amur HaShachar, it's clearly the least tefillah compatible section of the day. Some have suggested, the Rav Zatzal wrote about this, that this is precisely why there's a Aversion in Yiddishkeit and Judaism to just adding tefillos. Tefillos are very rigid. That rigidity stems from the world of karbanos, which are the the, um, the template of tefillos. When we stand in front of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, we don't freelance. We don't uh, say whatever is on our mind. We don't daven however we choose and whenever we choose. But there's a rigidity and a and a regimentation which preserves the sanctity and the transcendence that we're not too familiar with God just to say what we want, how we want, and when we want. So, in, in many ways, introducing extra tefillos is, as one would say, problematic. It contradicts, it's antithetical to the larger, larger recognition that tefillos is an inflexible, is a non-malleable environment. And that's why, according to the Rav, at least, it was scheduled during a time of day which is not really compatible with too many tefillos, at least ideally. It, it reminds us that we aren't trampling the rigidity, the protocol of tefillah. On the other hand, it begins with Ashrei, it ends with Kaddish, and that those bookends do suggest that it really does mimic, to some degree, classic tefillahs. So, there's a little bit of each. In fact, the opening sections of Slichos, right after we recite Ashrei, we recite Chatzi Kaddish, and at least according to most Ashkenazic Minhagim, there's a section referred to as Lacha Hashem Hatztaka Vilanu Boshes Hapanim, which uh, cites several psukim, many from Ezra, describing the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment of facing Hakadosh Baruch Hu, immersed in the world of Chait. But there are also some sections there, some psukim there. There's a whole series of psukim taken from Tehillim. Psukim from Tehillim um, there is a series of Psukim more or less uh, taken from Tehillim. Um, they begin with Hashem elokates vakot michamocha chasinya excuse me, it begins with 
Yavokol basar lishtachavot lefonecha Hashem. That's actually taken from Yeshaya Semachvav. Yavov ishtachavot lefonecha Hashem. Bo nishtachavev inichraat. Tehillim tzadikei. Tehillim peivav. Navalim shkinosav. Tehillim kuf lamed beis. Bo shara besadat. Tehillim kuf. About uh, ten psukim, all of which describe entering the house of Hashem, bowing down. Navala Mishkinosav, Nishtachavela Damaglav. Let's enter his Mishkan and bow down. Baushara Bisada. Let's enter his gates with praise. One after another after another, which is essentially the way we begin to feel every day. Matavu Alecha Yaakov, Mishkinotecha Yisrael, Vanibrov Chastecha, Vavisecha, Ishtachavah. So they attempt to almost mimic tefillah by bracketing it with Ashrei and Kaddish and starting it with these ten sukim from Tehillim about entering and bowing, in some ways, aligns Slichot with tefillah. Now trying to articulate the themes of Slichos is a very, very difficult task. Uh, there are um, 15, 16 or so at least days of Slichos um, the topics run across a wide gamut, a wide range of, of, of scenes, of psukim, of liturgies, of piyutim. But if you had to identify the streams or the tendencies of slichos, I think you could reduce them to three different voices or stages of tshuva. The first and perhaps the most prominent is the tshuva captured through the recitation of the Yud Gimel Midos, the 13 attributes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Yud Gimel Midos HaRachamim. In Parshas Kitisa, after the Egel debacle, Moshe Davins on behalf of Am Yisrael, now threatened with national extinction, Vayavor Hashem al Moshe is sequestered, is concealed at least partially by stone, Hashem passes over that stone, Vayikra. So our interpretation of that pasuk would have been that Hashem passes over the stone and Moshe calls out to Hashem and articulates the 13 traits. But the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah lodges an astounding claim and it recognizes, it acknowledges how provocative the claim is. Rabbi Yochanan says, If the pasuk not stated it, it would be almost impossible to conceive it and certainly to assert it. But once the pasuk states it, then it's certainly more acceptable. Melamed, the Gemara says, Melamed Rabbi Yochanan says, Shenisatef HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kishliach Tzibor. HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself placed the talus over his head, acting the role of the Shliach Tzibor, and he himself prayed. He himself articulated these 13 Midos HaRachamim. It's a very well-known machlokis between the Rambam and the Ramban as to whether Tzvilas Minatara or tefillah is midrabanan. The Rambam felt that tefillah is biblical, whereas the Ramban felt that tefillah is purely rabbinic. But even the Rambam, who felt that tefillah is biblical, agrees that the liturgy, the text of tefillah, is all rabbinic. There's no particular text a person must recite minatara. The Yidgim Omidos, effectively, then, are the only texts of tefillah that a Kurdish Baruch Hu delivers. He was the first to, as it were, quote-unquote, pray the Yud Gimomidos. He was modeling, he was demonstrating the power of Yud Gimomidos to Moshe in this time of distress. In fact, he didn't just deliver the tefillah, but as the Pasuk suggests, he issued that tefillah with a guarantee. Rabbi Yochanan continues in that Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, 
bris krusa. Hakadosh Baruch Hu signs some covenant. Shakolzman sheyasu lefanai kiseder as any time that Am Yisrael recites these thirteen midos, they have a guarantee, as it were, that they will not return empty-handed. That their tefillos will be accepted, and that Hakadosh Baruch Hu will supply some answer. Very astounding claim. A very powerful tefillah. The slichos are firmly founded on the Yudgimomidos. The slichos before Rosh Hashanah, at least according to most, Ashkenazic Minhagim, where we recite the Yudgimomidos four times, once before and once between each piot and pismon. Each piot and pismon is surrounded by a Yudgimomidos. As the slichos grow, Closer to Yom Kippur, we increase the amount of Yud Gimomidos. And then in Yom Kippur itself, we recite Yud Gimomidos at least during Mariv and in Neila, during the Slichos. Many people have a minhag to introduce Slichos into the Tfilah during Shacharit and Musaf as well. Most um, withdraw Slichot from Mincha in order to allow extra time for Neila, which tends to be a rushed Tfilah, especially if you want to complete Neila before Shkia to allow for Birchat Kanim. But the Yirgilomidos serve as the foundation, the foundation of our slichos. And that's why it's of particular importance as a side halachic note, as best as possible, to try to recite slichos along with the tzibor, along with the, this is a tefillah b'tzibor. It has to be recited b'tzibor. And many times, just at a practical level, people find themselves getting delayed in the piyutim, the intervening um, medieval poems almost written to enrich the slichos and being that the language is a bit unfamiliar it takes us a little bit more time to recite them and to understand them to the point where the the minyan has already reached the Yudgimomidos and you may still be uh, reading a piot or a pismon and it's imperative that you pause or halt in the recitation of the piot Join the tzibor for this powerful tefillah of Yirgimomidos, and then once the Yirgimomidos have been completed, to either return to the piyot or move on to the next piyot, but not to recite Yirgimomidos on an individual basis, but only along with the tzibor. Um, whether the Yirgimomidos are effective as some covenant that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised us, or they're effective because by reciting the Yud Gimel Midos, a person understands HaKadosh Baruch Hu more deeply and is closer to God by that understanding. Or whether the Yud Gimel Midos are effective because reciting them should awaken within the person a corresponding moral drive. The seat of Jewish morality is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's moral essence. To imitate God, to model ourselves after HaKadosh Baruch Hu. By reciting the Yud presumably a person is lent greater moral urgency, greater moral inspiration. Either way, this is the first, the first extension, the first instruction of tshuva. Whether Kayin or Adam performed tshuva, whether Ruvain or Yehuda performed tshuva, there are midrashim that suggest it, but this is really the first lesson historically of tshuva. Kodesh Baruch Hu responds to Moshe's tefillah and urges him to instruct Am Yisrael, first of all, to daven when tshuva is necessary, 
Um, this is really the first prayer in response to Ched. I mentioned before that Cain's tshuva was only half successful because it wasn't buttressed, it wasn't anchored with tshuva. This is the first tshuva as part of a tshuva process. Moshe employed the Yud Gimomidos in Parsha Shlach in response to the Chet HaMeraglim, and by reciting the Yud Gimomidos, we remind ourselves that despite the severity of the Chet and the Egal and the Meraglim episode, were each very severe, one was an immediate betrayal, an immediate rebellion against God weeks after Nasev and Ishmael, weeks after Har Sinai. One was a denial of our rights to Eretz Yisrael and a lack of faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's ability to, to facilitate the, conquer, the conquest of Eretz Yisrael. Two very, very severe chataim, and in each instance, the Yerigimamidus were successful in restoring Am Yisrael's chosen status. In the case of the Egal, it was a complete restoration. In the case of the Miragla, of course, that generation was punished, but the Jewish journey continued. The Medrash tells us that Moshe employed the Yerigimamidus as a tactic on a third occasion, um, when he prayed for his own entry into Eretz Yisrael, in the Tfilos mentioned in Parshas Veschanan, but for several reasons those Tfilos of Moshe were not successful, even though it seems like he employed the Yud This is really the first layer of tshuva evident in the Slichos. What's interesting about tshuva based on the Yud is that it's almost as close as it comes in Yiddishkeit and Judaism to what we would call, which Judaism roundly rejects, but it's close to vicarious atonement. Um, it's almost as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu offers us some verbal formula. Reciting Yud Gimel Midos will grant us tshuva. After all, tshuva is a universal or international experience. We read on Yom Kippur about the people of Nineveh who responded actively and enthusiastically to Yonah's admonition and they performed the tshuva and they staved off their own extinction and uh, in fact according to some this is precisely why Yonah delayed in traveling to Nineveh because he didn't want to embarrass the Jewish people the story of Nineveh occurs roughly during the first base of Mikdash and while the people of Nineveh received only one prophecy about their destruction and they responded affirmatively. The Jews were rejecting and ignoring prophet after prophet, Navi after Navi, and this is embarrassing to Jewish history, and Yonah would prefer, as it were, rejecting God's mission rather than embarrassing the people he loves on Israel, which, of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, many occasions, wants, wants people to defend the Jewish people against, against um, punishment. But even though tshuva is a universal experience, any human being can perform tshuva, Yud Gimominos provides almost a built-in guarantee. And that built-in guarantee is extended only to the Jewish people. I am enacting a treaty and I will perform miracles for your people, for your nation. Of course it isn't vicarious. Judaism does not accept that notion. Um, there is a, an element of vicarious atonement in the Sari Lazazel, in some symbolism or ceremony, tossing a goat off the mountain, and that goat's death bringing absolution and forgiveness to an entire people. But of course, the Sari Lazazel is framed within a larger, larger series of ceremonies and rituals of Yom Kippur, all of which are meant to arouse sentiments of tshuva. It's not an isolated act. 
that promises personal redemption. But the Yerkeomidos are as close as it comes. Of course, it's not vicarious. We expect the prayer to have some impact upon the, pray, the person praying, knowledge of God, moral improvement. But I say this in contradistinction or in contrast to the second layer of tshuva, latent within slichos. And this is the tshuva best characterized by David HaMelech in Tehillim, but it's also characteristic of some of the calls to tshuva in the Nevi'im, in particular the Nevi'im Rishonim, the Yeshayas, the Yermias, the Yechaskels. That tshuva is much more existential, is much more psychological. A person looks inside of his world, his psyche, and he recognizes evil, and he recognizes moral decay, and he's horrified by it, and that's David HaMelech's great heroism, great historical achievement, that he recognizes his guilt, he's tormented by his monstrous act, but he isn't overwhelmed, or he isn't quieted by it, but it leads to an inner riot, and a response, and a resiliency, and he shares that resilience, and he teaches us, he teaches us how to perform tshuva, which is really a stunning accomplishment that he doesn't sink into his own mortification, but he shares that self-horrification, that horrification itself, he shares that with us. But the world of Tehillim is a world of internal psychology, recognizing the psychological forces that led to Chait. And so much of David HaMelech's Tehillim recognizes the presence of evil in our world. In some cases, the evil uh, refers to real enemies and those who will entrap and conspire and, and deceive and chase. But much of David HaMelech's statements are to be taken not only literally, but also figuratively. And those enemies and those forces are just evil inclinations and evil tendencies and laziness and insecurity. And David HaMelech personifies them as enemies. And he goes to war. He basically goes to war with himself, with his own challenges, with his own, uh, the own journey of, uh, or challenge of transformation, of self-improvement. So the landscape of David HaMelech's tshuva is not the metaphysical landscape of meeting God on a mountain and reciting the Yudgimomidas as Moshe did, or if we don't meet God on a literal topographical mountain, meeting God at least in some metaphysical realm and understanding God and trying to emulate God by reciting the Yudgimomidas, but it's a much more human, anthocentric tshuva, understanding the pathology of Chait, where it comes from, what parts of ourselves it's anchored in, the, of course, subsequent psychological makeup of the post-Chait world of where David HaMelech feels impure, fallen, a failure, darkened, and strives to change that inner tone, that inner mood, to receive not just this gift from God, this divine handout of absolution or forgiveness, but to be purified to be repaired, to be redeemed, to bring joy, to bring cheer, to bring success. So there's a subtle but important shift between the tshuva centered around the Yud Gibomidos Harachamim and in many respects the tshuva captured by the introductory psukim, l'chashem hatzdaka, certainly by the piyutim and the pismonim, which are based largely on tehillim or similar sections 
where similar sentiments are expressed. The tshuva of the Yirgimel Midos is this divine metaphysical encounter. The tshuva of David HaMelech is best captured by Ya'azov Rashad Darko V'yish Aben Machshev Osav. The way of man, the thoughts of man have to be explored, have to be assessed. What led to Chait? What are the enemies that have to be encountered? What are the frustrations that have to be met? And it, it personalizes the tshuva process. It humanizes the tshuva process. And of course the challenge is to incorporate both of these voices. Sometimes a tshuva ironically can become too humanized and the element of God within tshuva can be ignored. Tshuva ultimately is not moral improvement or moral inventory. Tshuva is a return to Hashem. It's a spatial experience where a person recognizes the distance from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it can't be limited solely to self-improvement, solely to self-inspection, solely to some form of New Year's resolution. It has to have a divine drama. It has to have a metaphysical energy. But it can't just be metaphysical. It has to be psychological. It has to be the tshuva that we read of David HaMelech, where he looks inside the soul, dislikes what he sees, recognizes the pathways of the soul, and changes that soul through the process of tshuva. But there's a third voice to tshuva. And it is an unexpected voice, but a prominent and and, and really um, chief or cardinal element of the slichos. So many of the slichos <coughs> detail not just the personal struggle <coughs> of chayt, of sin, of fall, of failure, and of recovery, but of the suffering of the Jewish people throughout generations. The persecution, the torment, the expulsions, the anti-Semitism, the hatred, the journey, the struggle, in a manner that, of course, David HaMelech could never have articulated because he didn't live through those historical elements. And Tehillim is, is almost completely absent of this historical challenge in the march of Jewish history. And it seems a bit strange, on first glance, that there should be such a prominent component of Slichos. Perhaps it's more relevant to Tisha B'av than to Yom Kippur and certainly to Slichos. But it is a crucial strategy. When we look to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not in the year uh, 2000 or when Avram entered the scene or not in the year 2500 when we left Mitzrayim or a couple hundred years later when David HaMelech articulates his Tehillim, we stand in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu 5,700 now and 59 or 60 years into history and we demand absolution not only because HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised us not only because it is based on hopefully a moral reawakening or reconfiguration of similar to David HaMelech's awakening in Tehillim because as Jews we've suffered so much and so deeply we deserve your grace. We deserve your absolution simply of having survived the test and the march of Jewish history. As we say in one of the Piyutim, Pinei El HaTlaots, V'al Lachataos. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, turn your attention to the Tlaos, the suffering, the frustrations, the hardships, and don't look at our sins. Zechor Hashem Levnei Adom, Es Yom Yerushalayim, Ahavas Tzion, Al Tishkach Lenetzach, Chibas Yerushalayim. The suffering we've endured, 
the faith we've maintained, the persecution we've been exposed to, that has to count for something. That has to be reckoned into the tshuva process. Our approach to HaKadosh Baruch Hu on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur during the period of intense tshuva can't, mustn't be the approach of an individual, the approach of an independent personality. It has to be rooted, has to be anchored into the larger drama of Jewish history. As we stand before you, it's almost as if the whole tone changes. We demand, we beseech forgiveness because we almost deserve it. The Rav Zatzal commented how the Ashamnu, the Vidoy, recited in private, is recited during the Tvilas Yachid, is recited in hushed tones, with a bent over her back. Whereas when we recite Ashamnu, Bagadnu, at least again in Ashkenazic circles, it's belted out to a ancient medieval German war marching tune. Ashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu, Dibarnu, Dofi, ay, 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 ay. It's almost triumphant and strange. To be so triumphant and so confident, so uh, loud about our own failures. We've sinned, we failed. We, it's not something you say, it's such a loud voice, but according to the Ramzatzal, when we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for forgiveness as a nation, we have that confidence that we deserve it as a nation because of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's promises and because of our faith and because of our loyalty. So we're almost proud, as it were, but not proud, at least confident. And that's a voice of slichos, which really is dominant. When, when you look at the slichos, it's not expected, which means that sometimes it's neglected or isn't sufficiently appreciated. But it really is that third voice of tshuva, which comprises the slichos, and it isn't the voice which could possibly have infused HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Yudgimomidos or David HaMelech's Tehillim, because it's just a product of the last 2,000 years of Jewish history. And that's why the piyutim and the slichas have such a decidedly medieval liturgical bias. Because so many of the medieval paitanim who wrote our slichas were responding and were lacing the slichas with the experiences which unfortunately they were and we were suffering. Anyway, the slichas, as I mentioned earlier, is a very, very sweeping experience. It's hard to really generalize or or typify the slichos, but I think those are three voices of tshuva that can be located in the slichos. Number one, the voice of the Yudgim Omidos. Number two, the voice, so to speak, of David and Tehillim. It's not limited to Tehillim, but Tehillim is the most um, is the most um, um, characteristic of this voice. And the third voice is the voice of Jewish history, the voice of our suffering, which we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to factor in to his response to our request for tshuva.